0: So we're going to read some scripture here, uh, John chapter 14, uh, the first three verses. Uh, you're probably familiar with the, this section of scripture uh, from the Upper Room uh, Discourse, and here's the words of Jesus uh, right before he went to the cross. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I don't know if you look at those three verses very carefully, and I looked at them again early this morning. I started to count the personal pronouns in those three verses. There's 15 of them. This is a very personal message from Jesus to us and to his disciples. So let's pray, and then we'll look look at it. Lord, uh, we're grateful this morning to hear about... Uh, the power of your word, that it is alive and that it uh, uh, quickens our hearts and convicts us and leads people to salvation. And thank you for the uh, joy of uh, seeing some publicly proclaim that this morning. Thank you for the Gideon's ministry. And Lord, we do pray that you will continue to bless them. And uh, thank you for the, the power of God's word, uh, how you can use a, a Bible strategically placed in a hotel room, a prison, a school. Uh, Lord, thank you that you can do that. Lord, we pray now that you would um, open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. And uh, may we leave here being encouraged and changed because we've heard your word. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. We have been looking at the life of David uh, for the last uh, nine weeks, I think, eight or nine weeks, but uh, this morning we're going to just take a little, little veer off that pathway and we'll get back to the life of David uh, next week. But as I mentioned, this is a Back to Church Sunday, and uh, it's a national movement, been around for 15 years, and uh, the theme is Hope Happens Here, Hope Happens Here. So I want to talk to you about hope this morning. Uh, It's one of the three great virtues of the Christian faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. And Paul goes on to say the greatest of these is love. So we want to think about hope. And my hope is that you will leave here with a, a renewed hope in your life. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> he warned us right off the bat. Life is hard. Life is difficult. We will all face challenges. But then he said, but take courage because I've overcome the world. And so we want to think about hope. We want to think about hope. But first we need to define hope because The hope that we're going to talk about this morning, the biblical hope, is drastically different from the way we talk about hope in our normal English language. We might say this morning, um, I hope the stock market starts to go up because it's been uh, plummeting the last uh, few weeks. Uh, We might say, I I hope that uh, you have a good day, or to someone that's not feeling well, I hope you're feeling better someday, or if we get someone a a gift for their birthday, we say, I hope you'll like the gift. We might say, I hope the weather's nice tomorrow. We might say, I hope the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. We can have all sorts of hope, but that's how we use the English word hope. The biblical word hope is different. Um, the, the definition of uh, of hope in uh, the dictionary is a desire for something to happen. But biblical hope is different. Let me give you two definitions of biblical hope. One's the one that I came up with a number of years ago, and another one from a man by the name of Ron Hutchcraft, who wrote a book entitled uh, Hope for When Your Heart is Hurting. And he gives a definition of hope that I want to share with you. So uh, here's, here's the first definition. Biblical hope is the absolute assurance of something based on the Word of God or the promises of God. So biblical hope, It's not wishful thinking, but it's the absolute assurance of something based on what? On what Lumen was talking about this morning in the Gideon's ministry, God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to the words of Jesus. I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, God's word, until everything is accomplished. Jesus said, if I were to paraphrase it, not one cross T, not one dotted I will not be fulfilled. Every word in this book will come true, will come to fulfillment. And so biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's the absolute assurance of something What based on what God has said. Uh, Ron Hutchcraft in in um, his his book that I mentioned uh, writes this definition of hope: hope is a buoyant confidence, acknowledging the hurt, but anchored in an unseen but certain reality. He goes on to say, "Hope is not based on our circumstances, but hope is a choice." So maybe you are here this morning and you are facing a situation and it looks, from the human standpoint, totally. Hopeless. And I'm here to tell you this morning that hope is a choice. It's a choice based on, on God's truth, God's word. And Frank said, where there's hope, there's life. Hope fills us with fresh courage and makes us strong again. The late Martin Luther King said, I must accept finite disappointment. It's a part of life. But never lose infinite hope. So my friend Ron Hutchcraft in his book about uh, hope for um, hurting heart talks about five storms that come into our lives that threaten to steal our hope. I just want to run through them very quickly. Uh, Hope for when our, our heart is broken, the grief from losing someone you love. If you haven't done this yet, we all will. We'll be standing by the graveside of a loved one, whether it's a grandparent, a parent someday, family member, a friend, and they've died. And we're at the cemetery, and our hearts are breaking. But for the believer in Jesus, there's hope. Five storms that can come into our lives that threaten to steal our hope, a broken heart, the the grief from losing someone you love, a broken love, the wounds of a broken relationship, a broken dream, broken health the fear and uncertainty when your future's in doubt. You go to the doctor and you get a bad report, and it's overwhelming, and, and you feel like there's no hope or a broken past. Well, this morning in the verses that we read, and just in the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want to think about hope. And let me give you a little background to John 14. Because Jesus spoke these words to the disciples who were reeling from some bad news i'm going to call them three gut punches that they got this is the upper room discourse it's right before jesus goes to the cross and jesus and his 12 disciples are in the upper room and he gives them some bad news bad news number one one of you is going to betray me Out of those 12 disciples, there's there's an insider here who is going to betray me, and of course we know that was Judas Iscariot, and it just uh, shocked the disciples, and they begin to ask each other, you know, is it me? Who who is it? Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus just uh, 24 hours after this with a kiss. I remember hearing a message about betrayal, and the title is, That's Not What a Kiss Is For. And Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, and the Roman authorities come in and, and arrest him. Well, then Jesus announces that uh, he's going to leave them. <laughs> uh, so they've just experienced uh, betrayal. Now they're going to experience desertion. Jesus says, hey, uh, I'm leaving, and where I am going, you can't come. And the disciples are like, Oh, Jesus, we've been with you for three years. <laughs> uh, we, you mean we can't, we can't come with you? Then there was a third bit of bad news, and it was denial. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, uh, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And Peter says, no way. So the disciples are, are reeling from, from bad news. They're feeling um, afraid, fearful, uncertain. Uh, they're feeling hopeless. And so Jesus wants to give them some words of hope. And this morning we're going to very quickly go through four aspects of biblical hope. So fasten your seatbelts. Here's the first one. Biblical hope is a person. Biblical hope is a person. It's found in a person. Back to John chapter 14 verse 1. Here's the command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. The word there means agitated, stirred. Don't be upset. And then he speaks these words. You believe in God? That's an imperative statement, or an indicative statement, rather. Then he says, believe also in me. That's an imperative, a command. You, You know who God is. I want you to put your trust in me. And so the first part of biblical hope is it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. He's the only one in this life who will never disappoint you. You begin to put your hopes in anything or anyone other than Jesus, you will be disappointed. But Jesus never lets us down. Jesus, as the song says, never fails. And so Jesus begins to encourage the disciples and say, biblical hope is is a person, and it's who Jesus is, the Son of God, but it's also what he's done. Our hope is in a person who went to the cross, who uh, paid for our sin debt through his shed blood, who was buried, and then three days later, what rose again? First Peter 1 calls it a living hope. Our hope is found in Jesus. Not only is our hope found in a person, but Jesus goes on to say biblical hope is found in a place. It's not just a person. But it's a place. And so Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about heaven. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Uh, The King James Version, in my Father's house there are many mansions. And so we sing this chorus, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. got some bad news for you. The the better translation is rooms. dwelling places, and so to give us hope, Jesus not only says you need to believe in me, who I am, a person, but I want to talk to you about a place. A place is called heaven. It's more accurately described as a city. I enjoy living in the country, but if you know Jesus as your Savior, we're going to spend eternity in a city. It's called the New Jerusalem. Fifteen times in Revelation 21 and 22, the place God and his people live together is called a city, and the Apostle John describes what the new Jerusalem is like. It's cube-shaped. It is 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. It's an incredibly big city. Given the dimensions, and this is from Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, given the dimensions of a 1,400-mile cube, if the city consisted of different levels or stories, and if each story were a generous 12 feet high, this city would have 600,000 stories or floors on it. That's a lot of room. And so Jesus says, In my Father's house, in the New Jerusalem there's lots of room. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul quotes from Jeremiah, and he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so he's talking about heaven. He says we can't even begin to describe heaven. You now, the Bible does describe it in Revelation 21 and 22. Yes, streets of gold. Yes, pearly gates. But the apostle John describes heaven in, uh, primarily by telling us what is not in heaven. We don't have time to, to look up all these verses, but here's what John says is not in heaven. There's no temple there. We don't need a, a place to worship because what we have God himself there. There's no night in heaven. No sunrise, sunset. It's it's daylight all the time. And the Bible says that the glory of God illuminates heaven. There's no sin in heaven. Nothing impure will ever enter into heaven. Revelation 22:3 there's no more curse. The curse of sin is reversed. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more death, no more funerals. In fact, Jesus says, I am making everything new. And so Jesus says, biblical hope is found in a person and it's found in a place, and it's called heaven. And Paul reminds us, and we need this reminder, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship as believers is where? It's in heaven, isn't it? And we get wrapped up and yes, God wants us to be salt and light and make a difference right where we live. But our hopes and expectations are not found in who's sitting in the Oval Office in January of uh, whatever the next election will be. Because our ultimate citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. That's why the Bible says we're strangers and pilgrims. We're just, we're passing through. And so the Bible talks about Biblical hope being a person. Biblical hope is a place called heaven. Thirdly, biblical hope is found in a promise. And here's how Jesus encouraged the hearts of the disciples, and hopefully you and I as well this morning. Jesus says, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, here's all these personal pronouns, that you also may be where I am. And so Jesus talks about a promise. What's his promise? He's coming again. Just as he came the first time. Something the other day posted on, it must have been on social media, like, Christmas is 100 days away, and I'm thinking, didn't we just do that last year? I mean, how can that, how can that be? You know, and I love Christmas, and, it's, and we need to celebrate Christmas. But that's his first coming. Did you know there's eight times as many verses about his second coming as there are about his first coming? Jesus is coming again, and that's his promise. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. Verse 20, yes, I'm coming soon. It means quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So our hope is found in a person. Our hope is found in a place. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, these uh, these reminders Let me just read it quickly. He says, Therefore, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's the the, uh, drive-home point. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, Paul's trying to get us to say, hey, we need to live with a, what an eternal perspective. Because everything that we see, all the material goods are someday going to wear out, rust out, end up in a dump someday. But he's saying we need to fix our eyes on what? The eternal, because that's what lasts forever. And so the encouragement is the bless, the the coming of jesus' it 's called in Titus chapter two verses eleven through thirteen the blessed hope the blessed hope let me let me read Titus chapter two verses eleven through thirteen and then we 'll we'll begin to wrap this up um, here 's what paul 's writing to to titus uh, his his friend in the faith and um, I want you to think about, as we read through these verses, there's three tenses of salvation. In other words, there's a past tense. I, if you know Jesus, your Savior, you could say, I have been saved. That's what was being testified to this morning. That's called our justification. And when we put our faith in Jesus, God looks at us through the blood of Christ, and he sees us justified, just as if we've never sinned. There's a second tense of salvation where we say, it's the present tense, I am being saved. That's called sanctification. In other words, God wants to work in your life and to conform you into the image of who Jesus is. And that's a lifelong process. And then there's a third tense of salvation. It's yet future. It's called our glorification. We could say, I will be saved someday. And so all three of those are in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Here's the first one, the past tense. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all, whosoever will may come. And if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Childlike faith, putting our faith in Jesus. But then it goes on to say, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's our sanctification, that God wants to do this sanctifying work in our life. But then we get to verse 13, and that's the future. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Christ is coming back again someday. Peter calls it a living hope. It's a defiant hope. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that resurrection chapter, one of the highlights of all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. He's talking about Uh, the resurrection, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory through Jesus. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus And so our hope is a, a living hope. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus and ultimately our future resurrection. And Jesus promises that he is coming back again someday. And I really believe it's sooner than many of us think. And so biblical hope is found in a person. His name is Jesus. It's found in a place. It's called heaven or the new Jerusalem where we'll spend all of eternity. It's found in a promise that Jesus says, I'm coming again someday. But lastly, biblical hope is a prayer. Biblical hope is a prayer. And that's found in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Let me start reading in verse 12. Biblical hope is a prayer. And this is, this will be my prayer for all of us this morning. Here's what Paul writes. The Apostle Paul, he's quoting Isaiah. The root of Jesse will spring up. That's referring to Jesus. One who will arise to rule over the nations. That's yet future to come. In him the Gentiles will hope. And then here's his prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. As we trust in the God of hope that He's gonna, to, wants to give us what? Joy. Jesus mentioned that in the upper room. I've come that your joy might be complete. He wants to give us peace. Peace with God. The peace of God. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great prayer. I want you to put your trust in God and he's the God of all hope and he's going to give you joy and he's going to give you peace so that in your life and the way you live your life you are overflowing with hope. Hope in God's word. Hope in Jesus. Hope in a place called heaven. Hope in a promise that he's coming again someday. And if we have that hope, it should put a smile on our face. It should put a spring in our step. And people should be able to look at us, even when we're going through trials and difficulties, and say, how can you have joy and peace through this difficulty? And we can tell them it's because of who Jesus is. One more verse, then we're done. This is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We read 12 and 13. Here's 15, 4. Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past, talking about Scripture, the Bible, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. 2 Timothy 3, 60. All Scripture is profitable for Uh, reproof, rebuke, uh, instruction in righteousness. So the Bible's here to, to teach us the way of salvation, how to live. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There's our word again. That God's given us the word of God so that as we read it and study it and learn, it gives us hope. Hope in a person, hope in a place, and hope in a promise so that our lives overfill, flow with hope. And so this morning as we close, I thought I would just share with you very quickly some hope statements. Remember what biblical hope is? The absolute assurance of something, what, based on the word of God. And so, if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, here's here's our encouragement. I call them hope statements, or we could say them faith statements. First one's the promise of eternal life. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes on Him shall not perish, but have what everlasting life. So that someday when we die, the promise. Second Corinthians five eight absent from the body, present with the Lord. That should encourage our hearts and give us hope. Here's another hope statement. It's the promise of a new body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We mentioned this already, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. This is, this is the promise of a new body. Now, if you're here this morning and you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, or maybe 50s, that's not a big deal. Believe me, if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, or beyond, this is huge. <laughs> We're going to get a new body someday. It's going to be like his body. No more aches, no more pains, and we can go on and on about what the resurrected body of Jesus was like, and that's, that's going to give us hope. The promise that God works all things together for His glory and our spiritual good. That's Romans 8, 28, and 29 for believers. No matter what you're facing in life, God's got a plan. and He's going to use that, that pain to what? To transform us and to give Him glory. The book of 1st Peter, the theme of 1st Peter is pain with a purpose. And you know what? You can go through a lot of physical pain in life if you know the purpose of it. There's a a reward at the end. And so uh, that's a promise from God. The promise that God's grace is sufficient. The hope statement, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 9, Paul had some physical problems. And he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take the thorn in the flesh away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your witness, in your um, weakness, rather. In other words, when you're weak, I'm strong. And so, uh, whatever you're facing, here's the promise, the hope statement, God's going to give you the grace to make it through. And someone has said, God will either grace your pain or erase your pain. Paul was asking God to erase his physical pain, and God said, no, but I'm going to give you grace to endure. And when you're weak, then you will be strong. The promise that nothing can separate us from God's love. This is Romans 8, uh, 20, 35, and the end of that chapter, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What great hope. Nothing can rob us of our salvation. We are secure in him. Oh, we could go on, on and on um, with all these faith and hope statements. But this morning, hope happens here. And if you know Christ as your Savior, our hope is found in him and him alone. It's found in a person. His name is Jesus. Our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope is in a place. I hope you have your reservation in. Heaven's a prepared place for a prepared people. People don't automatically go to heaven when they die. They have to repent of their sin, put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then we have this wonderful hope of the fact that Christ is coming again someday. fact of the matter is, we may never uh, get to lay our head on the pillow tonight because uh, the, the return of Christ could happen in any moment. And then hope is a prayer that the God of hope will give us joy and peace as we trust in Him so that we overflow with hope. I hope that hope, I hope the biblical hope, encouraged you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. And Lord, my prayer is that every person here has realized that um, they can't make it to heaven on their own, but that it's only by putting their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone and his shed blood on the cross as payment for their sin debt that they can have the gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be reminded that our hope is not in the things of this world. If they are, we're going to be deeply disappointed. But our ultimate hope is in a place called heaven, at new Jerusalem. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. We'll be in your presence forever and ever. And then, Lord, thank you for the, the promise that you are coming again someday. Lord, may that impact the way that we live. And, Lord, may we uh, overflow with joy and peace and hope as we trust in you. And, Lord, we will thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.